Hey there, and welcome back for another Behind the Line podcast episode. I'm Susan Rogers. And I'm Ryan Kelly. Each episode will bring you a case that has remained unsolved in the hopes that you, our listeners, can become active participants in helping to close one of these cold cases we present to you. We are all part of this community, and as a community, we all want to bring closure and justice to these cases, and finally, peace to the loved ones that are still waiting for answers. Okay, let's kick this off with our next case that's remained unsolved for quite a while. This might be a good time to say that we're going to be talking about some sensitive details of a criminal case that involves a violent crime. You might be triggered by this details, and if so, please consider joining us in our future episodes. We also want to tell you that there's some details that we won't be able to give you due to the fact that the investigation is still open and ongoing. If we receive fresh tips as a result of this podcast episode, we want to be able to use those details that we withhold to verify the information so law enforcement can follow up on it. Okay, so let's begin with what we know about this case. This case takes place on the evening of March 23, 2020, just after 8 p.m. in Odessa, Texas, when 911 dispatchers received a medical call for help in the area of 10th and Dixie at a 7-Eleven convenience store located there. So, Ryan, a medical call. Yeah, so a medical call is going to be when EMS gets dispatched to a location. Most of the time, fire department's going to respond with them. But there's the possibility that the scene could be dangerous or that a patient could be combative. So they're also going to send law enforcement. Okay. So Detective Donnie Rocha with the Odessa Police Department caught this case and describes this situation the first responders encountered that day. Uh, Because it was undetermined on uh, the injuries or the uh, status of the individual. Uh, All we knew is uh, there was an individual in the alley bleeding. Uh, we We were unsure. Uh, is if, if he was still alive or deceased at that point. So when they called us, um, that's the way that we get dispatched. It's to a medical call. I know. So so when officers got there, they they um, of course they they see uh, our victim laying in the alley, uh, and he had basically was in his own pool of blood, um, and and there was uh, a lot of blood just everywhere uh, on himself the wall and in in the alley so uh that's when they determined that he was deceased at that point and it seems like for this case that was a good call in sending the police along with the medical personnel the 56 year old white male later identified as samuel jones was actually dead in the alley behind the 7-eleven it's important to to know Anytime somebody dies outside the care of a doctor in the state of Texas, law enforcement is required to conduct an investigation into the circumstances. Detectives were assigned to the case and responded to the scene as well. It's important that once a death has been declared suspicious, that evidence is preserved from the very beginning and as many details as possible are being observed and recorded. When detectives arrived at the scene, they observed that Samuel was sitting facing the back exterior wall of the 7-Eleven. He looked like he was attacked from behind and there was lots of blood. There was so much blood at the time that when I when I went to see Samuel, I could not tell you that he was shot or stabbed I, I didn't know how he had died there's so much blood there i didn't know what his injuries were which was it's it's um a very a unique thing to see because uh i've seen shootings i've seen stabbings i've seen hangings seen multiple um cases of different injuries and for me to show up to this scene and not be able to tell what causes injuries was very, very hard and very uh, a unique situation for me to be in. 
Samuel's body was removed from the scene and he was later transported to Tarrant County for an autopsy. Autopsy determined Samuel had multiple stab wounds and found the injuries that Samuel had sustained were the cause of his death, and this was now a homicide investigation. With this knowledge in hand, detectives broadened the scope of the case and were able to determine several facts, starting with who was Samuel Jones. Samuel was considered transient or commonly referred to as homeless. He lived on the streets in Odessa. Most of the time, Samuel was reported as having lived in an unofficial place in Odessa called Tent City, which is gone now and was located just west of the 7-Eleven behind an abandoned convenience store well so around that time we had a heavy uh homeless community living around that area um there was a uh a laundromat that was uh catty corner to the 7-eleven so on 10th and dixie um they were living in the alley behind that laundromat which was on the um, west side of the road Something else that Detective Rocha found interesting during his investigation was that Samuel was not alone in the alley behind the convenience store at the time leading up to his death. This was revealed through interviews with some of his friends that were also considered transient. Yes, um, like I said, it was a heavy presence of homeless uh, individuals, uh, transients um, in and out of that that area. Um, We know that typically transients would go and buy alcohol from that 7-Eleven, go to the alley out of the way of the, you know, out of view of the, the, the front end. Uh, so that way they're not kicked out. They'll go in the alley and drink. Um, so I think that's what was happening this time. And, and from what I see on, on the video is it was him and his other buddy uh, who we, uh, they identified as Scooter. I got him fully identified in the report, but uh, we, we know him as Scooter. Uh, they bought alcohol. Uh, we see them both purchasing alcohol, and they go into the alley, and and uh, we're drinking, and that's the last time I I believe I see uh, uh, Samuel uh, in view of the camera, and then yeah, and we got stories from other homeless guys who use that alley as shortcuts, and we knew uh, during a time that this incident occurred, there were still people walking through that that alley. During the day, Samuel was frequently seen visiting the 7-Eleven and other stores in the area. And something else that we found out about this case is that his community, the homeless community, reported to detectives that Samuel was well-known in the area among his community, and they specifically said that he had few, if any, enemies. So it's also interesting to note, Ryan, when we first um, publicized this case, when it first happened, that a lot we got a lot of feedback on our Facebook page, and community members remembered Samuel being there um, in the area of, t- of about 8th and Dixie. I think there's a convenience store, and there was some landscape rocks that would sit out there, and Samuel would sit out on those rocks and wave at people when they went by. And people would stop and um, leave food for him or give him drinks or something like that. But there was a, a lot of community outpour when this happened. This episode brought to you by House of Havana. Hey, fellow crime fans, there's this cool local hangout in town that you really need to check out. House of Havana, a premier cigar lounge and town and country shopping center at University in Grandview. You'll love their extensive selection of premier cigars, signature cocktails, and happy hour specials. Stay for lunch or dinner. They've got a great menu. All items are made to order with high quality ingredients. House of Havana, a great place to relax or just hang out with your friends. We'll see you there.
So what happened to Samuel? Obviously, some sort of altercation occurred that led to Samuel being stabbed. Early on, investigators had a person of interest they were looking for who was ultimately ruled out. And Morris was a person that, when I was looking through the videos and my my uh, my investigation, he was one that uh, I saw who seemed to be homeless, and I didn't have a name for him. So that's the reason why I had put it out to try to contact him because he was there around that time. He was seemed to be homeless, so I just wanted to see what he knew. And he had, he explained everything, and all he answered all my questions and. Um, I have no reason to suspect that he was involved. Two other persons of interest were interviewed, his buddy Scooter being one of them because he was the last person to be seen on the surveillance video with Samuel buying beer. Another one was a transient man named Jaime who actually alerted the clerk that Samuel was dead. And so that piqued my interest with Jaime. And Jaime was the individual who was the one who alerted the clerk of him being deceased. So we know Jaime was in the alley, saw him. So that's what piqued my interest. But when I started talking to the homeless community more and more, it it was apparent that they were still, they were giving me the same information that the witness was giving me, but it was more watered down as the further, the long, the further I got with the investigation. So it was apparent that it was a rumor that this individual started and spread throughout. But with Jaime, we found him, identified him, um, interviewed him, and uh, we ended up polygraphing him, and he passed. And Interviews with Scooter proved to be difficult for investigators. So with Scooter, um, he was the last person I found um, while viewing footage to be uh, the last person to be with Samuel physically. Um, but also he was observed coming out of the alley um, when Scooter, when Scooter was seen coming out of the alley when Samuel was found deceased. Um, so we couldn't ignore that fact. But each time, each time that we tried to interview him, uh, he was hiding intoxicated. And he could not remember. He couldn't remember that he drank with with Sam, Samuel. So that that was that was a problem. So what we did is we we hooked him up on uh, on a PI charge, gave him a couple of days without alcohol, and uh, attempted to, to interview him again. But it was apparent that overuse over the years of alcohol abuse and possibly other substance abuse. Um, his mindset wasn't right. Uh, he was unable to really interview. So um, we just never got a real strong interview with with uh, Scooter. Uh, we several several times we mentioned the incident, and several times he didn't remember that Samuel was dead. Dead. He thought Samuel was someone else. Scooter ended up dying in a house fire not long after Samuel's murder. With the help of Odessa Crime Stoppers, investigators also reached out to the homeless community in search of witnesses or anyone who might know what happened to Samuel. Flyers with our tips line phone number on removable tabs were created. We quickly realized that this community might not have access to phones, so we directed them to the Crime Stoppers office where a drop box, pencils, and paper were available outside the front door 24-7. With your help, um, we knew that the witnesses that were possibly 
we were looking at were possibly going to be homeless as well. So not only did y'all help us put it through social media and the news, but you also helped us with uh, producing us with flyers. So our team for, I would say, a good week or two weeks went out to every homeless. I know for sure, for a fact, that I try to hit multiple homeless camps, um, areas where I know weren't camps, but I knew homeless people would sleep, and we were posting that thing everywhere. And um, tips in, just, they didn't come in. Um, not, not, not like I hoped. Um, if they did come in, they were very vague um, and lacked a lot of information. Samuel Jones was a white male, 56 years old, 5 foot 10, and had lived most of his life in Odessa. While you may not have come across Samuel in his later years, it's very possible you knew him in his youth. He was a roofer and a handyman, and he played guitar. Samuel had four sisters who all grew up in Odessa. We spoke with his twin sister, Cheryl, to get a look into Samuel's life and the situation that ultimately led to his death. Okay, um, I'm Cheryl Autry, and I am Sam's twin sister. I was born first, four minutes before him, and uh, we were very small. He was a preemie who had to stay in the hospital for a long time. So I think that maybe he had parental detachment. While Samuel attended elementary school in Odessa, he was sent out of town to a boy's home for his junior and high school days. After high school, he moved to Virginia, where he started a family. He has two children none of us have ever even met. It's really sad. It's very sad, you know. Um, I don't know where they are. I think they're in Virginia where their mom is, you know. Um, I mean, last time I spoke to him about that, he he was crying so hard about it that he failed his children. And, you know, it was, it was really a sad conversation. I think Sam was a very creative loving person that just, you know, like a lot of people in the world today make bad choices, you know. So he fell into the wrong people and a lot of bad decisions. Eventually, Samuel returned to Odessa and started over. He had a business as a roofer and a handyman, and he had a long relationship with a woman. But when the relationship ended, his troubles began. Yes, he was in a really long relationship with a woman, and I, I don't know exactly what happened, but when they broke up, he lost his place to live. She let him live there for a little while in that extra house that she had. This episode is sponsored by Noe Garcia State Farm, here to help life go right. For all your home, auto, health, life, and commercial insurance needs, State Farm agent Noe Garcia is there when you need him. Choose State Farm Insurance for value, customizable solutions, and savings. State Farm offers many coverage options, and don't forget to bundle. For all your insurance needs, contact State Farm agent Noe Garcia at 432-332-2401 or visit him at noegarcia.biz. Shortly after the breakup, Samuel was attacked at the house he was living in. According to his sister Cheryl, he was found unconscious in the house and was transported to the hospital. He had suffered a stroke during the attack, which left him unable to speak and his mobility was gone. Another sister took him in, but due to Samuel's frustration with not being able to talk, he became very angry and eventually his sister had to ask him to leave. Samuel decided he would rather be homeless than live under someone else's roof and rules. So 
I would say a good five or six years. You know, every time that I would come to Odessa, I would try and find him. And I only found him a couple of times uh, back there in that same area. Although family members tried to talk him into staying in shelters, he refused. You know, Sam really had a good heart. He just didn't know a way out. Addiction is a killer. It ruins lives, you know. But I, I don't believe, you know, a lot of people believe uh, that uh, homeless people are just addicts. But his problems were long before that, long before that. Samuel lived out the rest of his life as a homeless man. But nonetheless, he had family that loved him that needs closure. I want the public to know that he was loved by us that are left here. And we miss him and he deserves justice. And that I know somebody had to see this. I mean, there was just too many people that lived there, like you said, and somebody had to see this and witness it. And I know that they're scared to come forward, but please come forward and tell so we can all have, you know, the justice that he deserved and give him the justice that he deserved. Um, He was a good hearted person and he was talkative and gregarious, you know, like everybody said, he was, he was nice and he was funny and, um, He's sorely missed, sorely missed. So um, someone knows who did it. Please help y'all find him. Please help the police find him. Give him justice. As we all know, someone knows something. And although the tent city that housed Samuel's community has since dispersed and it's been several years since his death, we feel certain that there are witnesses out there that know what happened. I would, I, I would say... I would speak to the person who did this. Um, Whoever you are or, or what happened between you and Samuel that made you think that this was the way to go about life, I hope that you fill in your heart and, and you come forward and finally give the family answers, the community answers, and, uh, and turn yourself in. And to the person who might have witnessed this, um, don't be scared. We as a community and the police department do everything we can to protect those witnesses out there. And you may be scared and and I can understand, um, but if you have information for this case, I I, I beg you to come forth and, and, and not only do good for Samuel, but do good for his family and do good for this community. And so as we wrap up this cold case episode, we leave you with an unsolved mystery and hopes that in working hand in hand with our community, that someone will come forward and share what they know about the murder of Samuel Jones. If you or someone you know has information that could lead to the person responsible for the death of Samuel Jones, please call Odessa Crime Stoppers at 432-333-TIPS or use our app P3TIPS. The Behind the Line podcast is an Odessa Crime Stoppers production. This episode was made possible with the assistance of the Odessa Police Department Criminal Investigation Division. For more information about Samuel's case and many more unsolved crimes, go to our website, www.333tips.org. And don't forget to subscribe to our podcast so you don't miss out on our future episodes and case updates.